The His Girl Friday podcast is brought to you in part by Messenger Fellowship, living the kingdom, fulfilling the call, proclaiming the truth. Welcome back to the His Girl Friday podcast, episode three of the new month slash new year. I'm joined by my beautiful better half, Lissa Fry. Hello, Lissa. Hello, Cameron. Sounds so official. Yes, this is a historic day for a number of reasons. It's the first pod we're cutting together. It's the first time we've recorded three episodes in a month. And it's also the first time in our new location, in our second office. On our new equipment. Yes, that's true. So today, we're going to talk about an episode we experienced last week on MLK Day. This pod was not one we saw coming, but we're very excited to share the content. Definitely. It's uh, one of those moments where you go, I wish we'd never had to go through that, but I'm glad we did. And Maybe we can help other people, and wow, I feel a little closer to the Lord as a result. So let's just dive into what happened, and then we'll talk about some application on the back end. Last Monday, Liz and I thought it would be great to use that day off to take our kids, Everly and Caden, Caden just turned three, Everly just turned one on Christmas, uh, to the Adventure Science Museum slash center in downtown Nashville. And we had a pretty awesome time for the first hour. Yeah, it was it was amazing. There's so many things just right there, ready to be done. We were worried that they'd be a little young for a lot of it, but so much of it was just right age appropriate for them. Really yeah. a great experience. Mm-hmm. It was great to watch Caden's mind just activate mm-hmm. in new ways. Uh, of course, we're talking about the first 60 minutes. Lulled us into a false sense of security. Yes, of course. Uh, the next 10 minutes following, different story. So we'll cut to the part where we're on our way out. After a splendid hour of family fun, we're on the top level. We are obviously on our way to the bottom level to exit the facility. and We have a stroller, which means we are limited to taking the elevator. Yeah, this is true. Uh, we're not often using... Uh, a stroller. Uh, So this was kind of new territory for us and probably should have mentioned this on the front end. This place was packed and, you know, the first sign of trouble was not being able to find a parking spot. We had to play the waiting game uh, and thankfully the Lord opened up a spot for us. I think he was definitely in control of this day as we'll get to in a moment, but we're on the elevator and there are a couple things going on. The first is we step in it's just us, and we hear a weird voice coming over the intercom. Uh, as we're almost, we're we're about three quarters of the ride down. We're only riding down one floor, and then the next thing we know, it's hello, someone there, hello, which is kind of freaky in and of itself. Um, so as we're hitting the first floor, Cameron, who is being awesome and navigating the stroller, starts to back out. I had been helping Caden get his jacket on in the uh, in the elevator so that we'd be ready to head out into the bitter cold, so calls this Californian, uh, the Nashville cold here yeah. is bitter. Um, and 
all of a sudden the voice comes back on. Hello, is anyone there? And um, as Cameron can attest, I tend to be someone who likes to be helpful and probably sticks my nose in where I shouldn't trying to help out. And so I'm sitting here going, well, there's people waiting to get on the elevator. I don't want them freaking out. I don't want this person to like stop the elevator because they think something's going on. So I just casually lean over toward, it's not a very big elevator, like literally with the two adults and the stroller and the child, it was packed. So I just lean over as Cameron's backing out and I say, all good here. I'm guessing the person who was on before us probably pushed the button. We're good. And I lean back to get off the elevator, walk off, see Cameron with the stroller and look around and go, where's Caden? Yeah. You're talking about a perfect storm here. I'm backing out the elevator with the stroller. I'm not going full steam ahead. Um, and there's about a, probably between 12 and 15 people that I'm backing out into kind of doing that boop, boop type thing. And so my focus is on parting the Red Sea in reverse. Meanwhile, I see Lissa doing her thing and I'm like, well, that's just so Lissa. If it were me, I probably would have just let it go. But actually for that five second period that Caden is five escaping, seconds. I'm actually thinking it's actually, I'm, I'm endeared to my wife that she would be so thorough and dedicated to problem solved. One of the things I like about you, you are definitely one of the best problem solvers in the moment. Uh, of course, this would come back to haunt us because that oh, five seconds is all it took. And there were people, as I mentioned, waiting to get on the elevator. So it was crowded. Um, so they've already gotten on and headed up. And I look at Cameron and I'm like, where's Caden? And we both look around and he is nowhere to be seen. Now, ironically, Earlier, probably about 30 minutes prior, I had tried to help another mom locate her three-year-old. Um, because again, this place is a labyrinth of fun things for kids. And there's even like this, the whole center area is this big like play place. And so it can just be really easy to lose sight. And she found her kid and it was all, all good. So I had this moment of, okay, I just helped this other mom look. They found their kid. It's okay. No big deal. So I'm like, well, I'll do a circle. You stay here with Everly just in case he, you know, is is right here and turns around and can't find us. So I do a circle. Mm-hmm. The more I think about it, the writing was on the wall multiple times. We forgot to mention the fact that even before you're helping that lady out, um, on the first floor post-train exhibit, he had broken loose. And there was about a minute where we were looking for him and we found him in the next exhibit over. Uh, with the, and the planets. And so, you know, this wasn't the first time we had lost sight of him. Uh, so we were definitely on guard. So we're, this is not like we're just tired and we want to go home. No. We, we were like already feeling on pins and needles, uh, on eggshells with respect to uh, security and keeping a track of Caden with a fine eye. Because man, those three-year-olds, they can get around. So Anyway, so I go and I do a circle. The first place I go to is the training exhibit because he had really enjoyed that. And then I circle back over to Cam thinking, oh, he's probably found him by now. And nope, has not found him. 
So I'm like, well, maybe he, maybe he didn't get off the elevator. Maybe I missed it. And he was actually behind me and he didn't get off the elevator. So let me go and I'll do a circle upstairs. And so I ride the elevator up and do a quick circle upstairs while Cam is looking around the first floor and come back down. The gift shop. He had mentioned that. Nothing. And so by this time I'm like, okay, I'll stay with Everly. You go look around. We're, you know, he goes to go do another thing. And at this point we're probably about the five minute mark. And of course, as a mom, and I'm sure as a dad, your brains are going to the worst possible scenarios. What is it you said? Every when you're a parent and you can't find your kid, every every looks like a predator. <laughs> well, yeah, like every adult male without a kid uh, seems like a potential suspect, uh, just because obviously you know, well, who are you with and what are you doing here? Um, all those questions come into mind. Uh, there was uh, an open door to a stairwell across from the elevator about 20 30 feet so after i perused the gift shop because Caden had mentioned that he, he wanted to see that on the front end i go up to the second and third floors apparently there's a third floor that we didn't really get to it's uh, the top of this jungle gym area that connects to the second floor and there were a lot of kids and parents there and so it was just like you talk about labyrinth it was a very it was very tight not just in the construction and in the aesthetics but also, in distance, you're surfing people left and right. So it was just a very overwhelming thing for someone who's claustrophobic. Um, but that had to go to the side for sure. Yeah, it's amazing when all of a sudden something's going off with your kid, how all of your own personal hindrances kind of seem to melt away and you just become so single focused on, I have to find my child. I have to find my child. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so I've been sitting there and I'm like, you know what? I'm sure that this is a place geared towards kids. They probably have some kind of protocol. So I go up to the the member's desk and I say, what's your protocol for lost kids? And they go, we take a report and we put it off over our channels and our team members will help look. I'm like, we have a lost child. And so I sit there and explain mm-hmm. to them. And, and it's so funny how like as a parent, you like, I'm explaining to them what he looks like and, and uh, then he gets on the radio and starts saying what I, you know, what he's written down and he says something wrong. And I'm like, no, 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 it's this. It's a gr- not a gray jacket. It's a gray vest, not a gray jacket, a gray vest, you know? And it's, as a parent, you just feel like those little details like make all the difference. And, and it's so funny how here's someone who this is probably a regular part of their day having to put out the APB on kids. And I'm like, no, 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 we need to get it right. It has to be right. Like <laughs> I want my child found. Right. Yeah. I'm thinking, are we going to be the next Amber Alert? You're not thinking, I mean, you're thinking, I hope this doesn't escalate to that point. But yeah, like you said, there's so many different things racing inside your mind. So we kind of elaborated on the external process internally. Uh, let's talk more about that. And I'll start with this. This was in within the first minute. Um, and again, I'm going to brag on you, Alyssa, especially since you're here. There's a moment where we look around, we do our initial 360 peripheral sweep. We don't see him. And you stop and you take a big breath and I watch you just inhale like, all right, you know, this is what's happening. It's almost like you were accepting reality at that point. I'm not 100% sure if you were casting your cares and trust upon the Lord in that moment, but it sure looked like you were doing from my end. So that actually gave me some, a little bit of peace and calm um, as I started to hunt with you (laughs) and track him down. So uh, yeah, I just want to thank you for for that brief moment 
uh, I think it set the tone for the next 10 minutes while we couldn't find him. Yeah. No, and, and that's funny because that's exactly what I was doing. Again, when I'd been helping that mom earlier with her little girl, I'd just been praying and been like, Lord, you know, you see her, you know where she is. And so I took that moment to say, okay, God, obviously it's really easy to believe you for someone else's missing kid. And now I need to put my, you know, feet to my faith and say, I'm trusting you with my son as well. I refuse to get anxious about this. So help us find him. And um, so, yeah, so amazingly enough, within probably about a minute of putting out that APV, here comes uh, this guy walking over with Caden and Caden's clutching some little trains in his hand, um, ready to, uh, you know, coming over. And he's like, mom, I was playing with the trains, you know, and he has no idea that for the past 10 minutes, we have been looking for him. He has no idea that for the past 10 minutes, we have been going out of our minds. All he knows is he's been playing with trains and now some guy has come and taken and made him stop. I was a little worried at how readily he went with this guy because he didn't even seem like worried. He wasn't even like, mom, like, you know, like, oh, there you are. Like, he was just like, mom, trains, you know, and he had no idea. He had no idea he was lost. That's and correct. It's so funny because, and I don't know if we'll get to this later, so I'm just going to throw this in here and if it is, you can totally edit it We come it back out. to it. Yeah. But basically, like, I had kind of this moment, like, in retrospect where I was thinking about how I kind of understand a little bit more of the heart of God because as a parent, my kid is missing. My kid is lost. And my focus is 100% getting them back. And I'm going to move whatever I need to move. I'm going to do whatever I need to do. Um, I don't know if anyone out there has seen um, that movie. Uh, what was that one we watched with the guy whose daughter goes missing? And it was Taken. Like, take, no, not not Liam Neeson. Oh. oh, sorry. <laughs> no, the one with the where it was all like social media. Um, oh yes, I know which movie you're talking about. I'm I'm blanking. We'll drop it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but basically, it's like as a parent, you just go into this like I will move heaven and earth. I will find my child. And yeah, I guess taken as a good example, you know, Liam Neeson like I have a set of skills and I will find you or whatever yeah. the case yeah. is, you know. But what's so funny is, like, again, with our with our three-year-old, he didn't even know he was lost. He was over playing with trains. He had no idea he was in danger. He had no idea that there were potentially unsavory characters around. He was just doing his thing, living in his self-absorbed, focused bubble. And how many times are we like that as human beings where God doesn't, you know, God is bending heaven and earth to get us back to rescue us, to pull us out of our own self-absorbed mess. And we're just like in La La Land, not even realizing like how we are being preserved, you know, until that time that restoration and, and uh, reconciliation happen, you know? So even though Caden had no idea that he was in this place, like as a parent, you know, and I, I don't know, it just gave me a whole new understanding for like how the Lord feels about people who, are far from him and who don't know him and who are in that place of being lost, like how his heart must break and, and yearn to find them and bring them home to him. And at the same time, how their ignorance, just because you're ignorant of your situation doesn't mean you're not in that situation. That's a good point. For me, the conviction starts with Caden having no fear of him being lost. And when we track him down, you know, having to, 
try and explain how this is not okay. This is not ideal. And he probably still doesn't realize anything was wrong. And in the days after this event, I struggled, you know, I kind of wish he was afraid. Oddly enough, I, I wish, you know, there was an increase an uptick of fear because it would help. Yeah. Protect and preserve him. Um, so in my processing, I realized this. Sometimes we misplace something dear and we deem it as lost. What we sometimes forget is to God, that item, or in this case, that person is already found. The searcher is the one at risk of being lost. And that's the glaring risk reminder we get from the psalmist for those who sometimes find their trust like dust in the wind. The first biblical reference that came to mind was Jesus as a 12-year-old in the temple wondering why his parents were worried about him. Like, didn't you know I'd be at my father's house? And this is a very different context. And we live in a very different world, as we'll get to a minute. But then there was another scripture reference that popped into mind that may seem completely random and detached from this. And that's in 1 Samuel 9. Remember the donkeys of Kish. Kish is Saul's father, for those who may not remember offhand. And in this passage, Saul risks losing sight of the bigger picture, which is going to see Samuel. He's about to be anointed as king. And he's caught up with this request from his father of finding the donkeys at all costs. But between Saul's servant and Samuel himself, we find assurance and rightly aligned priorities being communicated at key points. Which leads us to this question. What is our priority the moment we realize something we've lost is missing? Something valuable? Something we've created? I I honestly like immediately come, like what comes to mind is the parable of the woman with the gold coin and how she like sweeps out everything to find it. And again, how like the shepherd who loses the one sheep leaves the 99 to go and find it. Like we we automatically go into searching mode yeah it's true and it's interesting that you you bring that up because i think luke 15 is a great quiet time study as a pivot off of hearing this podcast and it really hits the point of why we're cutting this it's our way of rejoicing the common denominator response in christ's parables looking at the lost sheep the prodigal son the lost coin there was rejoicing. There was exuberant joy anytime a valuable once lost was found. And that's why driving home after this whole thing went down, we realized we needed to cut a pot on this. We needed to even preview it on social media because we want to rejoice with you all that our son is found and he's alive and God is in control. One of the things I like to talk about, and we can we can only get so far in this episode, but we'll come back to in future ones. Casting your cares, what does that look like? Because oftentimes we think it's an idle activity. It's really not. It's often done on the go. Often our greatest moments of relying upon Jesus requires mobility and intentionality, a pause-and-go approach, waiting in motion. And trust me, I, I get it. It's hard when you feel helpless but we cast our cares so that we can 
surrender that helplessness before it becomes hopelessness. And I'm reminded of Psalm 115.11, you who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. Sometimes we forget about that last part, the shield part. Again, God knows whatever we've lost, he knows where it is. So sometimes we get so like, Lord, help me find, help me find, help me find. It was like, Lord, you know where he is. In this moment, until we have the visual, until we have the intel, protect him, protect the item, protect whatever it is that you've given to us that you've meant for us to have. Shield. So I think that's just at least one facet. That's one way to help us cast our cares in the moment, in moments of crisis. I love that. And it's so true because you, you can't, like you said, it's not something that's just idle or something that you can do ahead of time. Like when you cast your cares, it's the conscious decision to hand that over to God so that your hands are free or your arms are free to then do what needs to be done. You can't, like if we had just been freaking out and trying to figure out where Caden was, we wouldn't have been able to keep a level head and search for him. But by in that moment saying, Lord, I'm giving you this anxiety. I'm giving you this concern. I'm giving you the flesh part of me that wants to freak out. You need to hand, like, I need you to handle that and keep me in that perfect peace that comes from having my, my eyes and my heart steadfast on you. It's one of those things where you choose to it's what you choose to focus on. Am I focusing on the circumstance or am I focusing on the fact that God isn't surprised by the circumstance? He has the circumstance mm. under control and there is a plan in it. But I love that, that casting your cares. Like I've, it's always one of those things that you think like, Oh, I'm upset. So I should cast this on the Lord where it's like really in those moments of, mm-hmm. you know, rubber meeting the road. That's, that is really where you, like you can't prove, preemptively cast your cares on the Lord. Like yeah. it really has to be done in the moment. I mean, you could start each day off the right way to kind of set yourself up. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that struck out, you mentioned control. I think a sign that you trust that God's in control is that when you are in those moments of God help me, you recognize that you're entering his control. Mm-hmm. You're not praying that it comes upon you like you're outside of it. And like, Lord, I need to, tap into that, recognizing you're already in it and you're entering it even further. Um, and God is going to guide you. And I know this may not to sound like cheesy theology here, because uh, I know that sometimes we say God is in control and there's a passive way of viewing that and applying that. But if you want to find the more direct, tangible way of interpreting what it means for God to be in control, you have to recognize it as something that you're entering into. And that also helps preserve your prayers as faithful. Like you're not, you know, you know, this morning on a separate issue, I was praying and realized, Lord, I don't want to pray if there's no faith or hope attached. So I know that even it doesn't matter when I find my son, I have to believe that I'm going to find him and he's going to be in good health. And it types back into original design, original intent and praying into those passages in the scripture where it's, I'm not going to be overcome by evil, which includes the potential of evil. I'm not going to be overcome by the potential of evil. I'm going to 
see the good, count myself blessed. And I'm not going to think that I'm blessed if I find him. I'm blessed and I'm going to be even more blessed if I find him. Yeah. And I think that's key. I think sometimes we, we track, we view God's faithfulness through hindsight rather than recognize that God's faithfulness is moment by moment. And whatever the outcome of a situation is, like God sees it from the beginning. He sees it from the end. He knows the whole picture that we can only hope to know. And so, yeah, I I feel like this conversation may have been different had there been a different outcome. And just as for the record, like our hearts go out to anyone who has ever been involved in a situation that had a dire outcome or that it, you know, it was one of those situations where it was harder to see the Lord in it because it didn't end like we thought it should end or like you thought it should end. And that's a whole nother podcast. But in moments like this, I do think it's key to recognize that God's faithfulness is there regardless of outcomes and recognizing in the moment, casting those cares on him, choosing to be submitted to his Lordship and not get our own, flesh about how to navigate a situation like that's how you're able to walk in perfect peace and so maybe like you know it's easy we're talking about this from a parental standpoint you know but I think same comes from it as in a ministry standpoint you know like when you've got someone who's in your church or someone you're mentoring who's going through rough times or where you can feel very personally um, responsible for the outcome of a situation those are still the moments that you have to look and say, Lord, you're in control. This is obviously not an ideal situation, but you know, the outcome, you know, where they are, you know, that the situation isn't lost. The situation is firmly in your hands and recognizing that that is the best place to be, no matter what the circumstance around you is. If the situation is in God's hands, it's, it's where it needs to be. So I just want to encourage, I know um, the audience for, his Girl Friday tends to be those who are in ministry, those who are looking to minister in the marketplace. And I know that we all encounter different situations where our, where we maybe have lost our purpose, we've lost our hope, we've lost our vision, we've lost faith in a certain situation or a certain person or whatever the case is. But in those moments of loss, let's make sure that we are looking to the author and finisher of our faith, that our prayers aren't just lip service like Cameron was saying, but that they are full of hope and faith that say, God, you have this in your hand. And rather than spinning out of control, I'm going to cast that care on you. Yeah. It's like when, if you've ever been driving on snow and ice and you skid, and I almost had one of these moments when I snow chased last week, you turn in to the direction you're spinning or the direction you're losing control. Steer into the swerve. There's so much rich application to be found in that metaphor. And that's essentially what we did. And I love how you transitioned into something that's more, you know, that bronze out into areas of influence and where we work and where we minister to. For some of us, we know what it's like to lose a kid, but chances are, in our life on earth, that's going to span minutes, hopefully, not at all. For for many of us, we'll spend hours trying to figure out how to solve a situation or how to reach someone who was lost in a different way. And I know for me, I'm, I'm one of the worst at trying to make sense of my settings and surroundings. I will Sherlock the past. Sometimes if I am not yielded to the Lord, 
and a point of surrender. I'll try to figure things out on my own strength and my own mind. And all of a sudden, I'm self-absorbed in the past, not in the present. And we're out of bounds from where Jesus is and where he, you know, the space that he occupies. So it's interesting how some of these truths and principles we're talking about, they just apply to everything and everywhere, really. But that's how truths are. That's, you know, like in the Constitution, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Guess what? That wasn't our original idea as humans. Like God's truths are self-evident. They might be counter our own nature. You know what I mean? Because like you were saying, swerving into the skid, our our knee-jerk reaction, if you start to lose control, is to jerk the other way. When really that's when, when you start tensing up, when you start resisting, when you start trying to fight the circumstance, that's when injury happens. That's when devastation happens. Whereas when you steer into that, like you were talking about, when you give over control and you say, I can't, I can't fix the situation. So it is going to have to play out and God, you're good. It's amazing how the outcome is often so much less painful than it is when we're trying to control it in our own strength or our own ability. And I think it's so true. I think it's really easy to look to natural circumstances. And I I loved how you talked about Sherlocking the past and, and that gets you out of the present and like God is the God of now. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so that means whatever it is that he's focused on now, he already had in mind before, and he already knows how it's going to end in the future. And it doesn't so take him by surprise. It doesn't. And so when we sit here trying to view our present through the lens of our past or figure out our future, and we miss what God's doing now, I, I think that's why the Lord talks about being a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And he doesn't say you get to see it all. It's like, you get to see the step in front of you. Mm-hmm. And when you give over that control and you walk that step by step, it's so much more peaceful than trying to like, you know, I mean, I don't know about you. I think if the Lord had told me 10 years ago, how the next 10 years was going to look, I might've been overwhelmed <laughs> just a tad. Yeah. I think for many of us, we would laugh. Or have some similar emotional reaction. Uh, going back to the skid analogy, um, they also say not only to turn in the direction of where you're skidding, but wherever your eyes are looking, that's where you're going to steer into. And the propensity is to look the other way. So you have to not only turn in the direction of the skid, which seems counterintuitive, but you have to look the other way. And so I think that just goes a long way into keeping your eyes on Jesus and why as we're cutting this, I'm imagining future situations if they ever do arise. I'm going to have this foundation of faith, this new bedrock. We did it before. We could do it again by God's strength, of course, operating within us. It doesn't mean it's going to be any less easy or the, the temptation to be overwhelmed will certainly be there every time. But it's like, you know, we conquered our panic and we conquered it through Christ's help, and we'll keep conquering it again if super, uh, similar situations arise. And because it wasn't, it wasn't a lapse of us watching him. It was literally an instantaneous. We're getting off an elevator. Like that's all it took. You know what I mean? And so I just want to encourage all this that you don't know someone else's story. You don't know where they're at. 
So just like I could say like, hey, so if you see us in the future and we've got our kid on a leash, don't judge us because we know what it's like to almost lose him. You know what I mean? In the same situation, you may see someone who you don't agree with or you don't understand why they're doing what they're doing. You don't know what's brought them to that time frame. So that's why I think the Lord asks us to, you know, again, cast our cares, not someone else's cares. Yeah. Like that's what our relationship with God has worked out with fear and trembling, not someone else's. So you can pray and intercede for people, mm-hmm. but again, you don't know what's brought them to that point. Yes. Casting judgment or making assumptions does no one any good. Just love them where they're at. Yeah. Identif- identificational repentance has its place, mm-hmm. but you just hit on it. There's also a wrong way to go about it. You're not taking on the emotions that they're bearing, but the request uh, to find freedom. Yeah. You're joining with them. You're partnering with them. And that's something that God does each and every time with us. All right. Well, I think I may have just heard our daughter, so I may have to jump off here. But it's been really fun to be on the show today. Yeah, we'll, we'll do it more often. This is great. We're in a new era now. Last year was a season of pioneering and just getting the pot off the ground. And now we are off the ground. We have a table set up. Um, we're <laughs> not doing do as many. Uh, you know, there were times last year where I had to record from my iPhone in the car because that was literally the only place I could. But thankfully, technology these days, it's advanced enough to where you probably can't tell the difference. Hopefully, the quality is better. I'm sure it is. But thank you, Alyssa, once again for stopping by, for joining us, and thank you for your contributions. Um, we'll just bring this in for a landing as uh, it takes care of our daughter who is in need of some assistance, as it sounds. Real quick, just want to end this pod with a prayer of covering. And again, if you have any questions or comments or prayer requests, feel free to leave them in the comment section in the space below or to personal message us at your convenience. All right, Lord, we thank you so much that you are the good shepherd, that you will temporarily leave the 99 to come after the one. You leave one wilderness and enter to another one, and you will never stop searching for us and pursuing us, regardless of the thickets and thorns we find ourselves in. We thank you that you delight with us when we find something we've lost. We thank you that nothing takes you by surprise, that you go before us each and every day. So that when we encounter these type of situations, we're entering into your control. We're entering into your rest. We're entering into your faithfulness. We thank you specifically that you led Lissa and I to Caden. Ten minutes could seem like an eternity in those situations. And yet to you, you're outside time. You're interwoven into our mist. And you're guiding us like a light in darkness through the ups and downs and turbulences of life. Wherever we find ourselves today, we just declare that you are God and that you are good first and foremost. And again, we thank you that nothing takes you by surprise. So when we encounter those storms, there's an action that we could take. We could surrender our fears. We could cast our cares upon you and we could find peace in what seems like a peaceless situation in our fleshly eyes. Be that rock, be that anchor, and be that shield. I pray that Psalm 115.11 over our audience today, that you will be their shield in a spiritual armor context and also covering. Sometimes all we can do is stand. Sometimes all we can do is look. Sometimes all we know what to do is to realize, you know what? I'm not going to panic. I'm going to 
cast this fear of man or this this potential fear upon you before it gets to me, before it overwhelms me. The Bible mentions on a number of occasions we will enter into deep water. Sometimes they're ankle deep, knee deep, chest deep, and they last for different lengths of time. But you, God, are the same now and forever. We thank you that you are one true constant absolute. Because of that, we can know you as that point of safety. And that we could pray safety. We could extend and intercede safety on behalf of other people. Guide us this week. Continue to change our hearts. Transform us by the renewing of our minds so that we'll be able to test what is truly your will. We pray and well, we thank you that we have the mind of Christ and pray that we will walk in that, that we will apply it, that we will activate the mind of Christ in our lives. We bless you. We exalt you. We extol you. We love you, Lord. As we bring this in for a landing, we just declare it one more time. We love you. Thank you for loving us. All right, guys, that's it. Have a great rest of the week. And as I always say, we'll catch you on the fry. Peace.